You're listening to the OU Jewish Reaction Show. This is the Nahum Siegel Network. Welcome to a fresh new edition of uh, this wonderful radio program. Uh, follows uh, JM the AM every single Tuesday at uh, jmtheam.org and nachumsegel.com and, of course, on the NSN app where you can comment away and provide whatever uh, insight you'd like to add to this conversation. We certainly hope you will. Batya Jacob is uh, going to kick things off for us. She's been a guest of ours before. Batya is a... Uh, is the, I should say, director of the National Association of Jewish Schools Serving Special Children, the Division of the Yachad. And um, this is, as many of you know, this is a National American Inclusion Month, Naim. And Yachad is doing plenty to promote inclusion all the time, but especially now during this high-profile time for inclusion. Batya Jacob, welcome back to the Nahum Siegel Network. Thank you, Nachum. Thank you for having us today. Did I use the uh, right title, or did I uh, shortchange you on anything? Um, it's actually, our program has been renamed the um, International Jewish Resource Center for Inclusion in Special Education. Wow. Well, next time, so, I, next time I have to say it, I'm going to ask you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it's a, a very important title and a very important position, and this is, like I say, I mean, Yachad's always looking to include and always looking to find ways to bring uh, the topic of inclusion to our community. Uh, that's, o- that's always the case. But, uh, but there's something special about this time of year, right? Explain why this month is so critical. So February has been deemed um, North American Inclusion Month. Um, we actually are recognized by the U.S. Congress as being a specific month to um, really celebrate the abilities of all of our members of Kuala Yisrael. We truly believe that every member of Kuala Yisrael has um, abilities, and many of us have challenges. But regardless of our challenges, we want to celebrate all the abilities and everything we can do. So Yachad every February spearheads our Naim program. It really should be Naim because it's really North American Inclusion Year. We don't stop when February 29th this year comes. Um, It it continues through the whole year. We kicked it off with the a uh, marathon in Florida, in Miami, on January 24th. There were 200 of us, myself included, who did at least the half marathon. It's not a few of us did the whole, not me. Um, we ran and walked and crawled and rolled with people in wheelchairs with various types of disabilities and abilities. Um, and we all finished. You know, it's Uh, funny. It's funny you say that because, uh, you know, we talk about inclusion and obviously there's programming and there's, uh, you know, attitudes and there's synagogues and organizations that, you know, pay careful attention to the topic of inclusion. But I never even thought of the marathon, which I've seen up close and personal. I've seen it myself. I never even thought of that, that that's the primary method of inclusion. Uh, you know, these teams working together, I don't, I don't mean the teams, you know, that include 80, 90, 100, or 200 people. I'm talking about the teams you're describing of two or three people that together between those who, uh, you know, need a little bit of help and those who are, uh, you know, c- capable of doing the run on their own, they gather together and, and, and really symbolize inclusion. We had one of our young ladies, um, Amanda Parker, who's one of our Daner fellows this year at Yachat, has um, cerebral palsy, and she did the first 10 miles being pushed by different members of our teams in her scooter and walker. At mile 10, she dumped the walker and used her crutches to finish the race. When she got to the finish line, she literally threw the crutches up in the air and walked across the finish line. That must have been an incredible sight. It, it really, really was probably one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Bye, Jake. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And it was all about helping her do this because she can. Bye, Jacob is with us. National American Inclusion Month. Yachad, obviously, at the forefront of the entire movement. That's for sure. 
All right, so that that event at the end of January, Miami Marathon, that's a perfect example and really a great starter to this whole topic of inclusion. I mean, you know, that like I said, that's real inclusion in a in a very very real physical manner. Uh, are there other events like that in February, or is February simply you know an, an awareness month where we you know where we try to to speak about the topic of inclusion as much as possible? I mean, are there other events that really demonstrate it the way the marathon does? So we have over a hundred Naima specific events throughout the month um, throughout the United States and Canada. Um, we have a couple. We have Shabbat Shalom. We have scholars and residences. Um, in various places around the country. We have two specific things I'd like to mention. One is that this Shabbos is Shabbat Yachad. We have asked synagogues across the country and Canada to speak about inclusion during their drushas, to have Friday night onegs. We've sent um, inclusion cards to shul. We've sent about 15,000 cards out that talk about easy ways to foster inclusion in your shul. Something as simple as um, seating somebody in the front if they're hearing impaired or making sure there's a space for wheelchair. Um, including in your synagogue mission the idea of inclusiveness and asking people if they need any sort of modification. We've also sent um, some speaking points on Parshat Mishpatim about inclusion, about how everybody was counted in B'nai Yisrael, um, the whole idea of Mishpatim leading up to Truma and being part of the Mishkan building. Everybody gave their shkalim. Everybody put in their money to help build the Mishkan. It didn't matter if you weren't what Hashem, what we as people consider 100%, um, when we think of Moshe Rabbeinu, he's a prime example of somebody with a disability who is our most important leader in Israel. Yeah, it's so um, true. And you know what? What's funny is you make it so obvious. In other words, and again, this may be just a sign of the times, but you know, you 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 distribute these guidelines, these suggestions. You know, space for wheelchairs and seating people up front who may be hard of hearing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It, it, it's sort of like you. It's like you're stating the obvious to everybody. You don't you don't make it seem like you know that that you're expecting them or asking them to go out of their way to do something. You're asking them to do what really should be the norm. And we're hoping that our feedback will grow in terms of people saying to us, "We know this already." Right. That's our goal: is that every show can turn around and say, "We're doing this. We have an inclusion committee." Um, another thing we did this year is we developed what we're calling tefillah marks. When you're sitting in shul and you have a challenge, it's sometimes very hard to follow where they are in the sitter. So we developed a beginning set of three magnets to get clipped onto your sitter um, for Shema, Shmonesre, and Aleinu. <laughs> so when you get to that part of tefillah, all you have to do is find the right that magnet, and they're color-coded, and you're at the right place. Who thinks of this stuff, huh? Who thinks of it? Um, it's a group effort. It's a group effort, and it's a project. Um, we're, we're hoping this is something that we're going to build. We're hoping each year to add to this collection um, and really make Tila more accessible um, for everybody who's there. It is pretty so, – yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's really a very exciting piece of what we're doing this year for Naim. And uh, the response, obviously, is, you know, nationwide, always, always welcoming. You have prominent rabbis who are, you know, at the height of their, uh, you know, uh, of their leadership who, you know, get everybody else to follow because they've taken the lead in this. I mean, my point being, it's, you know, it's 2016, and it's just so different than, than what the battles must have been like early on to get rabbinic leaders and others to even think of inclusion and the whole concept. I started in Yahad 18 years ago. When I started in Yahad, we had a handful of children in day schools that had special needs, unless they were in self-contained special need classes like Sinai, right. which are great programs. Please, please don't 
think I'm disparaging them in any way. But now it really isn't a classroom in the country that doesn't have some sort of child with some sort of need. Uh, We're actually having an educators conference tomorrow in Baltimore, Maryland. We have 165 educators coming together to learn about how to make their classrooms more inclusive. Anywhere from Rebbies in yeshivot um, to teachers in secular schools. And the hope is we've had, this is our fourth one this year. We've had a series of these conferences. Um, Our hope is to really go out to the communities and educate all the teachers on how to make their classroom the best environment for every student who they're teaching. Any pushback at all? I mean, we know that, you know, sometimes teachers are sensitive about the way their classroom operates. Any pushback at all or way past that? Um, We do have sometimes. um, We have sometimes the teachers will say to us, we're, you know, we're doing it already. We don't need any more help. And we'll say, okay, but you know what? Maybe come or send somebody because you might learn one new thing. And then when I read the evaluations afterwards, I hear, you know, I didn't know that. Thank you. So we do get some pushback, but we also push, too, and we keep keep striving. Um, Last week, I think we had 45 people signed up for this conference, and we've really been pushing um, the, the schools to get them to understand why it's important to send their teachers. So now we have 165 people coming. Wow. Pretty amazing. So, um, there is another project I wanted to talk about that sure. we're doing for NIAM that we're doing also um, nationally. We have our Toronto chapter involved. We have our Israel chapter involved. Um, we are doing a project in conjunction with the OU's Jewish Learning Initiative on Campus, right. their JLIC program, and Nefesh Benefesh. We um, approached, we wanted to find a project which would be meaningful and something that our members could do to give back to the Jewish community. Because um, very often Yachan members feel that they're always taking and they don't always have the opportunity to share what they can do with the Jewish community. So we um, approached them about packaging packages for lone soldiers who were making Aliyah. And each of our chapters around the country, we have 15 chapters, are connected with either a JLIC program or a Hillel program on campus, on a college campus, if there was no JLIC program that connected with them. They are together packaging um, care packages for lone soldiers, um, things anywhere from chapstick to socks. <laughs> it will. It's then going to be given to Nefesh Benefesh, who will be giving it out to their soldiers when they go on Aliyah on their group flight. And um, our Israel chapter is also going to be taking some of the packages and delivering them to soldiers in Israel as well. So we are really, really excited. Um, everybody is so pumped up um, to be part of this project. Our Yachad members are sharing, they're writing notes, they're buying things that they want to include personally in the packages. Um, We probably will have about anywhere from 800 to 1,000 packages that will then be sent to soldiers in Israel. Uh, Talk about a win-win-win situation, huh? (laughs) And it's really, really um, just highlights how we can do inclusion, um, how every person has a role and could be working equally together. Uh, Batya Jacob. Batya Jacob is with us. Naim, it is the uh, National American uh, National American Inclusion Month, and as uh, Batya mentioned, it's really National American Inclusion Year when it comes to Yaha. They're doing this type of inclusion and, and inclusion reminders all through uh, the year. The the, the uh, in general, and I know I don't know if this is specifically your topic in terms of the uh, general growth of the organization, but there there is at this point. Um, because we know what's happening in the New York, New Jersey area, but there's so many other areas in the United States where Yachad has taken off like crazy and where all these uh, inclusion initiatives have become you know, part and parcel with major synagogues around the country. That's correct. That's correct. 
Um, we are anywhere from Chicago and L.A. to Omaha, Nebraska. All right. People don't even realize that uh, you know all these accomplishments that have been done in major Jewish communities around this country. So so many other communities, smaller ones and more remote ones, are really you know following suit and are uh, and are hopping aboard this entire concept, which is unbelievable. Uh, you know, some people are amazed to find that there are even Jewish communities in some of those areas, <laughs> notwithstanding notwithstanding that it's not not just Jewish communities, but there are people. You know, with with specific needs in those communities that have to have them addressed. So, call a vote to you for that. And those are the communities sometimes that need us even more than the bigger communities. Right. The bigger communities, they're it's on their radar. We've educated those rabbis um, to at least to begin to look for it. In the smaller communities, it's not yet on their flowchart, and that's our job is really to reach out and say. Get involved with some of these smaller communities. We're going out to Portland, Oregon, at the first week of March as part of our Naim program to do workshops and to meet with the rabbis um, across the denominations in Oregon about inclusion, about how to make their synagogues and their schools and their community in general more inclusive. Pretty amazing. Batya Jacob, give me the title one more time, please. The International Jewish Resource Center for Inclusion and Special Education. Fantastic. Call it Kavod. Uh, North American Inclusion Month is now. Yachad continues not just to promote inclusion, but do practical things to make sure that everybody can get involved and make sure that inclusion is part of their synagogue and community. Batya, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Nachum. Great speaking with you. It's always a pleasure. Batya Jacob, there she is. Boy, she knows it. She knows when it comes to inclusion exactly how to promote the message and how to uh, convey that message to our audience. Plenty more coming up. It's the OU Jewish Reaction Show. You are listening to the Nachum Siegel Network.
listening to the uh, OU Jewish Reaction Program. This is the uh, Nahum Siegel Network, and uh, Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg is with us. Senior Rabbi the Boca Raton Synagogue, it says here, a rapidly growing congregation of over 650 families, over 1,000 children in Boca Raton, Florida, and he holds many distinguished uh, positions down there in that area. And as uh, as far as I'm concerned, every time the... Uh, topic comes up of a young, dynamic, incredible rabbis in this country. His name seems to always be on the list. Uh, Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, welcome back to the Nahum Siegel Network. Thank you so much. I appreciate your kind words. Uh, well deserved, I can tell you that much. Um, you've written uh, in January last month, uh, you wrote for the Orthodox Union uh, for the life section of their uh, website, Life and Inspiration, what not to say to couples struggling with infertility. So number one, and you have a whole list and a lot of interesting things that you bring up. Number one, what made you write this? Uh, why this topic? Um, we recently started an infertility support group. I think that infertility and those suffering with it are um, some of the, it, it's some of the invisible suffering in the community. You know, in, in the Jewish community, we do very well when someone, God forbid, is, is struggling with cancer or has a terminal disease or is going through a, a crisis. We step in, and as a community, we have an infrastructure that really supports them. But couples who are going through infertility, and it happens much more than we often think about, do so in silence, and they're invisible. Um, they're invisible other than people making insensitive comments to them at times, unintentionally. They don't do it purposely, obviously, but people just uh, they, they don't know what to say and they um, therefore unfortunately often say the wrong thing so we recently started an infertility support group in the community and we have we have people who have suffered infertility secondary infertility which means they have a child but they're struggling to get pregnant again we have people who've had miscarriages stillbirths and the support group meets regularly and they find it incredibly meaningful and we also have an amazing fund called the school of fund which is organized through the shul which helps provide funding for those struggling with infertility Compounding the pain of not having a child is the incredibly prohibitive cost of fertility treatments, which shockingly is not covered at all from insurance. Health insurance will cover birth control because uh, health insurance considers it mandatory that a person is engaged in the activities that would require birth control. It's much cheaper for them to prevent someone from having a child than having to put them under health insurance. But health insurance in almost every state, most states, certainly in Florida, does not cover fertility treatments whatsoever, even though there might be a real medical impediment or challenge with either party causing them to not have the child. So there are a lot of people who can't afford the fertility treatments, and IVF can run twenty to $30,000, um, and, uh, and often it takes two or three IVF cycles in order to, to have success. So we have a school of fund which provides grants to couples struggling with infertility. It's uh, done in the form of a loan, but the loan only needs to be paid back if the fertility treatment is successful. If it's unsuccessful, rather than compound the disappointment and pain of its lack of success, the loan is is forgiven. What a so, what a concept! How long has that fund existed? The fund has actually existed for close to ten years, but we've been running it very quietly, and that's been a mistake on our part. We've tried to do it modestly and not really bring attention because we didn't want to shine a light on and in any way bring any embarrassment to people who clearly don't have children who might be struggling with it. But between the support group and the recognition that we needed to really uh, raise more money for the fund, which had been depleted, we decided to dedicate a Shabbos. I, I gave a drusha where we did a um, we, we raised money for the fund, and so this article was part of that trying to. To increase awareness and sensitivity on these issues. You know, you entitled this, or by Ephraim Goldberg is with us, you entitled this What Not to Say to Couples Struggling with Infertility. You know, some people would say that the best thing is to say nothing. And, uh, and, and in other situations, uh, you know, sensitive situations in our tradition uh, that I could outline, it, you know, sometimes that is the best thing, is that there's, there's just no reason to say anything. Do you, as a rabbinic leader and one who wants people to to seek and get comfort from others, do you think it is important for anybody to actually acknowledge to a couple what they're going through? You're, you're bringing up a great point, Nachum. The truth is, as, as a rabbi and just as a regular human being, I think that when in doubt, stay quiet. Really? Don't ask. And I don't. If, I, if there's a couple in the community, I find out they've been married a number of years, they don't have children. Um, even as a rabbi who's eager to provide support and services, I don't say anything. It's their discretion. It's their decision whether they want to approach. You know, maybe I'll reference some of the um, things that are there in case to create the window, the opening, if they want to walk through it. But I don't. I, I think that um, the job that we can do is the, the way we 
can show the most support is just to be sensitive in in our conversations, to be sensitive in the, in the way we conduct ourselves. You know, young couples get married. Thank God you attend a lot of weddings. I attend a lot of weddings. Young couples get married, and they're not aware. They they assume that you get married, and as soon as you decide you're going to have a child, then you get pregnant, and everything's simple because they just see the birth announcements, and they attend the brisses, and, and they assume that it's something that happens automatically. But in the United States of America, there's 7 million people trying to have children struggling with infertility. And up to 20% of those who become pregnant have a miscarriage. And 80% of the people who've had a miscarriage happen in the first trimester before, at least in our community, people have begun to tell others. So nobody knows about it. So we don't know who is trying, who's tried and experienced a loss, who's suffering, who's struggling. And I think the greatest thing that we can do to show them support is to not be insensitive, to not ask stupid questions or give unsolicited advice, um, to not flaunt our families to be sensitive in the way that we uh, so for example you know i think that there are two days a year that on social media are so painful for people with fertility challenges and those are mother's day and father's day where you see social media flooded with the most affectionate messages one to the other you're the best mother the best father everything else and so i think that what i tried to do on those days now is you know say happy mother's day happy father's day and and offer a hope a prayer a feeling that all those who are trying to have children should have children too we as a community um, another day that's incredibly painful, this was brought to my attention, and that's why we changed it as of last year, is on, on Simchas Torah morning. Right. Kol right. if you don't have children and you're watching hundreds of children gather under a talus and the community celebrate children can be incredibly painful. And, and people don't realize how many women stay home that day. Simchas Torah, people stay home for all kinds of reasons. But how many women <laughs> stay home because it's so glaringly in their face about Kol Na'arim. So we introduced this past year a special Misha Be'ach that we recited right before the Ali of Kol Na'arim when all the children were under the talus. I recited a, a, a beautiful on behalf of those trying to have children, that please God, in the coming years, their babies, their children should be under the talus as well. So there are little messages that we can send, little awarenesses and sensitivities that we can practice at our Shabbos tables, in our simchas, in our own lives. You know how many people having secondary infertility are attending simcha bar mitzvah after bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, bris wedding, and they have to put a smile on their face. And, and I think what we can do is, I'm not saying that we need to scale back our joy from our having children, but we should always acknowledge that we feel blessed to have children, or we hope that everyone who, who's trying should know our joy or should have children. There's little, little comments or statements we can make, I think, which would create a much more sensitive culture. Yet on the other end, because I just asked you about, you know, why should anybody ever say anything, yet on the other end, you know, somebody sitting at your Shabbos table who you've just met, or, you know, a couple is in from wherever, or whatever the circumstance may be, you know, someone who lives in the community who you see it as simpler, it, it, it is a natural thing to ask you know, how many children do you have or do you have a family? And, you know, just just in the usual exploration of trying to, you know, interact socially with people who you meet. So there has to be some type, in other words, that would not, you'd have to, I think you'd agree, that's not an unusual question, right? That That's not a real, that's not the type of probing question that one may think, you know, is out of line, right? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I think it, there's how you ask it. So I've actually, I, I now ask people, I'll say, tell me about your family. Let's say you meet somebody, you don't even know if they're married. So you're meeting somebody who's in their 30s or 40s or 50s, and you don't know. So many will take for granted in our community and the way we function. Well, if you're that age, by now you're married and you have children, so let me cut right to the chase and ask about it. But imagine the pain of a person who is lonely and who's not married. Maybe they were married and divorced. Maybe they were never married. And, and now everywhere they go, the first assumption someone makes about them is, oh, tell me about your wife, tell me about your husband, or where do you live, how many children do you have? Each time that question is asked, it's tearing the scab off a wound that's just begun to heal. So I'll now ask, when I meet people, I'll say something like, oh, where are you from? Or tell me about tell me about your family, and that way a person can say, "Oh, my family. Oh, my parents live in Kew Gardens, and my brothers in Teaneck." And you can deduce from what they answer whether they're married and have children. Very but good. if you ask a broader question like, "Tell me about your family," family can mean different things. At least you've left the opening for them not to have to answer, "Oh, I'm not married," or "Oh, I have no children." So I, I agree that in the course of social discourse, we'll ask people about their family. We're trying to get to know them and learn about them. But maybe if we ask something like, "Tell me about your family," rather than, "Oh, how long are you?" Married or how many kids do you have? It maybe it's a little more sensitive. A very very good piece of advice, I must say. Now, your the list that you published in this article, 
came from people in those situations, right? This is not a list you created. You heard these from people who actually experience this on a regular basis. Exactly. This list came from our support group. We turned to our support group and said, if we want to educate the community how they can be more sensitive, tell us some of the insensitive things people are saying, not intentionally, not with malice, but how can we train them? What are the things to avoid? So they gave us, these are actual things that have been said to them. And I have to tell you that after I published this, I got countless emails and comments from all over of people telling me, thank you for doing that. I've been told this so many times. It's so hurtful. People gave me even more things that have been said to them. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I, <laughs> there are so many sensitive situations, in, especially in our community, um, and and people. That, that's why I, that's why I started by saying, you know, the rule number one might be. I mean, I know people, and I don't mean to compare, and I, and you know, we don't have to open up a whole other topic, but just just for a second, I know people who will go to a shiva call and never open their mouth ever. Like that's their rule. It doesn't matter who it is they're visiting, no matter how close they were to them, no matter. They, right. they know them, don't know them. It was a high-profile case, not a high-profile case. Everyone knew about it, didn't know about it. They will sit with the express purpose of showing the people there that they're there for them, right? That's the purpose of the visit, right? That we're there right. for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And, and, they, and they feel that there's nothing to be gained, you know, outside of the you know, the final greeting that everyone says. There's nothing to be gained by it. And that's, that's why I started here in this, in this conversation with that premise that it may be just a better thing to say nothing. But then again, as you just pointed out and I said, the social situation doesn't always call for that. Um, if someone says here, don't assume a couple who doesn't have children or has one child is focused on their careers. I can just see somebody saying, oh, so you're, you're, you're trying, you're trying to, you're trying to concentrate on work. So you're not having more children, right? That's the type of thing they mean. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, People will ask that or they'll say you should, you know, you should say you should feel so lucky. You know, a lot of young couples who have newborn babies at home will comment in front of other couples with no children about how little sleep they're getting, aye. how difficult it is or how expensive it is. They'll be complaining, they'll be fetching, and that's only natural. You have a newborn, it's it's a trying time, aye. but just know before whom you're doing that. And and I'll tell you also, and this is another thing that came to my attention is we don't only have to be sensitive around people of childbearing age when grandparents, when potential grandparents, I should say. When parents have married children, and their married children are having fertility challenges, the parents of those married children are desperate to be grandparents. Right. They, too, to a certain degree, are struggling from their children's infertility. They, too, want to be flaunting the pictures and telling the stories and attending the grandparents' day. And so it's not just the generation of childbearing age that we have to be sensitive around, but it's, it's potential grandparents as well. Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg is with us. You have one here that says, don't ever ask another person's child, don't you want a little brother or sister? That's a bad one. That is a that bad is. one. I never even thought of that. And, of course, the people in your group thought of it because they've, they've seen their kids be asked that question. Exactly. Exactly. Unbelievable. Uh, a lot of hurtful comments. Those of you who want to see the entire list, you can go to the life section of OU.org. Uh, Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg's article is entitled, What Not to Say to Couples Struggling with Infertility. Um, people who offer advice. Get a bracha from this person. Try this skula. Say this prayer. Some of the advice, arguably, might be good. But the way that it's conveyed, I'm thinking, can only be bad. Maybe there is a, a way for somebody or somebody in a specific position to go ahead and make a recommendation like that. Exactly. And most of the time, the problem is that it's unsolicited. So someone will say to someone else, they'll just assume that the couple is struggling with fertility, and uh, and then they'll just give this unsolicited advice about exactly what they need to do. And you don't know if that couple's tried that and has been terribly disappointed by its failure, by its not working. You don't know if the person doesn't believe in the concept of the schoolers or these religious things. The gist of what the women in our, in our support group and, and their husbands, to a lesser degree I've talked to, um, the gist of what they say is that the most supportive thing that other people can do is treat them normally. Um, you know, a lot of times couples will, will socialize more with people who have kids their children's age, and that leaves couples with no children ostracized and feeling alone. So if you take them out and you socialize with them and you interact with them normally, you don't treat them as pariahs just because they don't fit the traditional um, structure of having a family yet, or just being supportive. You know, if, if they have opened the door and they have shared with you that this is a difficult thing, every once in a while, just let them know, I'm thinking about you. want to let you know I've been thinking about you. want to let you know I've been davening for you. want to let you know you're in my thoughts. If I can ever do anything for you, if, if you ever want to talk, it's, it's opening the door to be supportive rather than offering unsolicited advice, which can really be painful. Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, down at the Boca Raton Synagogue, articles entitled What Not to Say to Couples Struggling with Infertility. I, and by the way, just when it finally does happen, please God, and, and somebody, you know, the couples who've been waiting, you know, now have the news, thank God, and it becomes obvious in the community that they're either about to have children, they just had a child, whatever the case is, 
it, it, there's no such thing as too much celebrating, right? There's no such thing as that the couples could feel bad that everyone's making too big of a deal, right? There's a, that, you, would, you would suggest that, correct? No, I, I agree. I don't think we need to temper our celebration because it is. It's the greatest bracha. What an right. incredible gift from the Almighty. And, and they want, and they want everyone to share it. Through the celebration. So I would agree with you on that. It just with, with sensitivity right. in the context of that amazing celebration, make a remark, make a comment. You know, whoever's given the speech at the Shalom Zachar, at the bris, make a comment about the hope that everybody who wants children should know the joy of this day. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great advice, and uh, it's much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. It's great talking now. Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, a very sensitive topic, but one that's really, really valuable, and everybody should take the time to read the article and make the effort to incorporate what some of his suggestions and his support group suggestions uh, into our daily lives. More coming up. You're listening to the OU Jewish Reaction Show. This is the Nahum Siegel Network. open desert tent history's children in every event are looking for a way to lighten up their load and brighter than the sun you shine Jerusalem you're on my mind you lift my soul you echo the divine Providence that guides us so that we may teach and all may know the hand that may admonish or reward has given us this holy space, Jerusalem. To you I turn and trace my steps back to you now again. Jerusalem is calling, Jerusalem is calling. Hear it echo through the canyons of your mind Until you reclaim the things you left behind It's telling you this just might be the time
Here we go. 
Thanks for tuning in to the OU Jewish Reaction Show. This is a production, of course, of the Nachum Siegel Network. OU Jewish Reaction every single Tuesday, 9 a.m. right here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thanks for tuning in, and my thanks to all of our special guests. Check us out on social media, Facebook at Nachum, Facebook Nachum Siegel Network, on Twitter at Nachum Siegel Net, Instagram Nachum Siegel Network, and I thank you for tuning in.